I want, to, want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uh, this morning. Uh, we are been a little bit hit and miss as far as me being here and special events and things like that. Uh, so we're not in the midst of a series. So I uh, wanted to take this opportunity just to preach on one of my favorite passages. One of uh, 2 Corinthians got some amazing things in there. Uh, chapter 4 especially, but chapter 5 is powerful. Um, but what brought me to this text is, it's just, you know, it's been two weeks since I've preached here. Um, and I'm just astounded how things have changed in two weeks. Uh, I mean, I've just, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, police uh, shootings there and black men, and then Dallas, uh, police being shot, uh, being targeted, and then you've got Turkey, the coup that's there, I remember Herb and Sarah Watts, they're not there now, they're stateside, but that's part of where their ministry is, um, and then you've got France. Two hundred some killed there. Two weeks. This is since last time I preached here. These things have happened uh, nationally, internationally. You go into our church family, you come home and get messages of uh, Miss Linda Myers not doing well, hospice being called in and uh, for her, and uh, the couch has fallen, and C W Jones not doing well, and and just. You know, you, all these things that have happened in just in, uh, in two weeks' time, and then did my daughter gets her driver's license. <laughs> it has personal stress, you know. <laughs> y'all, y'all don't understand, don't you? Uh, but it, it just in, in two weeks' time, it's like when I was preaching here last, and, and now I'm here, and, and, and where our nation is, and where our region is, and where I am, and and it's just, it's amazing how things can change in two weeks' time. And so, I was reading through this passage over this past week, just this whole chapter, Second Corinthians 5, and realizing how much truth is in this chapter that deals with some of the stuff we're dealing with today in a, in a country, and a land that feels divided. And, you know, I'm, I'm 41. I didn't grow up in the 60s. That was in my history books, reading about that. For those of you who experienced that. And I'm just wondering, is this anything like that, what we're going through? And, and I just, I was thankful. Honestly, I was thankful I didn't grow up in the 60s. But I, I grew up and I lived in the age of the implications of the 60s. Sexual revolution has this effect. Of all the things that have happened, that might have been the thing that has impacted us the most out of the 60s. It's hard to say. But I wanted to bring this passage to us, 2 Corinthians 5, because it talks about some eternal unifiers. Some eternal unifiers in an age of division. And I'm going to ask that we just, uh, before we read this, just let's pray uh, 
together. And I'm going to ask that we pray specific of all things we can pray for. There's a lot of things we can pray for. Let's pray for Turkey uh, today. This is maybe one of the more recent things. Uh, in that, there is people who have come from our church who have ministered there working with refugees in Turkey. Because it has direct connection with us, maybe that should be what we should pray for together this morning. And so I'm going to ask that we, I'm just going to lead us in prayer, and gonna, I'm going to have a time for us to pray silently uh, for what's burdening your own heart uh, of all the things that you've been enduring the last two weeks. And so I'm going to just ask that we pray together. Father, I think back to what your son said, predicting all that would happen in days to come. The tragedies, natural disasters, things that you said must come. Then how your own son, in a very personal way, would talk about his own future betrayal, saying it must happen. Woe to the one, it'd be better if they'd never been born, betrays. So Lord, as you see a world that has rejected you as God, as the one who determines good and evil, then it is inevitable that the things that have happened must happen. But nonetheless, Lord, as I look at how you worked on the cross, it lets us know that you will work through all these things. Lord, I want to pray especially for the seeds of the gospel that you are planting and have planted. There's some of that have been even in our own church and others in Turkey. Father, in the midst of upheaval that's there, has been there, God, I pray that you would water the seeds of the gospel there. Father, that you in your own way of how you do it, Lord, just allow these who have been exposed to your gospel to grow in your Holy Spirit, that they would be as lights in that country. But Lord, there are so many things, heartaches and heartbreaks that we can pray for and disappointments. And so, Lord, we want to take some time as a church, as your people, to talk to you, our maker, our redeemer, our savior, our shepherd. And ask for your working in these men. Father, we thank you that you will work. Lord, we live in a world that is not right. But Lord, we pray for the welfare of this country, 
Lord, help us as followers of you to live and to be a blessing to Nightdale, to the world that we live in, whatever sphere of influence you have us in. Lord, I pray that your love would compel us, Lord. Father, that we would be about the task that you have set for us, Lord, that we would be as an ambassador for you, ministers of reconciliation. Lord, that you would show us how we can speak up in those one-on-one conversations. Lord, how we can love and listen and be ready to sacrifice if you would so desire. We pray this in your name. So I'm going to ask uh, to begin, let's just read the Word of God together. I'm going to ask that you stand as we read, uh, looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in its entirety. I'm not going to be able to do as much as the in-depth because there's so much here. Um, but I'd like to skim this chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but at giving you cause to boast about us. So that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in in him we might become the righteousness of God. You may be seated.
So what I've done in this text and what I want to share with you is bring out those truths that appeal universally. In other words, in the text itself, it says this is for everyone. Uh, And it's interesting what you come across when you see this, read this in the text, and see those portions that it says this is for everyone. And the first part, as we read verses uh, 1 through 5, is talking about dying. He uses this metaphor of a a tent, uh, which is made perfect sense as Paul being a tent maker, writing this to Corinth, where tents were very prevalent. Many tents were made there, uh, not only for the seas, but also for the Isthmus Games, where people would come and they'd uh, have tents for people to stay in, kind of like what's going on in the British Open right now. People are staying in tents uh, to watch this event. So that was what was going on in Corinth. And, and so this is an image that fit with them. And so he says this tent, this body, this earthly body is as a tent that will one day be destroyed. But his idea, his, his hope is that one day we'll have a new tent, an eternal tent. And so he refers to going away from this earth and being present with the Lord as a time where one day in the future resurrection, God will bring up an eternal body for us. And so when he talks about not, our desires not to be unclothed, it's referring to this kind of intermediary state of being with God in spirit, but still awaiting the future resurrection day. We've talked about this as we looked at uh, the truth about dying. That if we are dying now, that our spirit is with God, but we have no body until the resurrection, where we will be reunited again with a body. That's what we long for. That's our first desire, our full Lord to come back, and it's all done together. Uh, and so here is our desire. Paul is expressing the same thing. So he's talking about dying. So because of this, he says, we have the Holy Spirit as a guarantee to let us know God's going to do this. It's going it's to happen. So we're of good courage. But then he says this, verse 9 and verse 10. So whether at home or away, we must make our aim to please him. And verse 10, we have this first statement where he says, make an appeal to everybody. He says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So one of the unifying truths is that we have a common death and judgment. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says, It's appointed to man once then after this, the judgment. So what's going to happen? Well, verse 10, So that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. See, one of the things about this is it doesn't really matter where you start or what you accumulate or what respect is garnished your way of, or accumulated by your efforts. When it's all said and done, you still die. We all still die. It's a, I've shared the story. It's like the game, but not Monopoly because I hate Monopoly. But life, all right? The game of life is a little bit more fun because you can accumulate. get a choice of cars. And, you, you know, you can have a, a spouse and you can have kids along the way. And you get this college degree and you get all these accumulations. And, and I didn't have to pay rent every time I stopped somewhere. That's why I didn't like Monopoly. This is too much like life. I hate this, you know. And it goes on forever. Uh, but, you know, the game of life, when it's all said and done, you know, someone wins. And then you, you put the car in, you put all these people all back in the boxes, and, and the only memory, the only thing that lasts is how you played the game, whether you enjoyed your game. Uh, the college degree is gone, the, the job, you know, the doctor's salary is all gone, you know, and the kids are gone. It, it's just done. And so 
it's all ending up in the same spot. And so what you have here is the scripture says it doesn't really matter what, what race you are, where you come from, you all die. We have a common death and we have a judgment. Now the Bible speaks of two significant judgments. One of them is the great white judgment throne. We looked at that already uh, uh, a few months ago uh, of where this is those who are dead in Christ, uh, who have rejected Christ, are judged according to the works. And then there's this judgment seat of Christ. That's what's being talked about here. But then, verse 10, notice this judgment. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. <laughs> well, that, that might cause us a little unrest. Why? Well, because we believe that we're saved by God's grace. That means, uh, well, God has forgiven us, right? That means that when I, the, the sin is no longer there, right? I, I read that in verse 21, that Christ became my sin and I became the righteousness of God. So what exactly is this judgment? Why is there this judgment? The judgment declares our heart. The judgment declares our heart. If we have a heart that has been born by God, that has the Spirit of God in our life, then our heart will be revealed by our lifestyle, and our lifestyle will glorify God. And so the judgment seat of Christ is an opportunity for God to be glorified once again by our life. Does your life reveal your heart for God? Does it reveal that you have a childlike attitude toward God? Uh, it's kind of like the, the proverb um, or Solomon. Scripture talks about Solomon's wisdom and he uses this uh, judgment case to, to demonstrate his wisdom. And basically what happened is two women uh, had uh, two babies. One of them, the baby died in the middle of the night. Uh, and so uh, that other mother that lost that child claimed the other child uh, for their own. And so they were battling with one another whose child it was. And they come before Solomon and say, Solomon, will you test this? Will you judge this? And, and Solomon's judgment is, well, let's take the baby and cut the baby in half. One mom gets one and one mom gets the other. And so what happens is the real mom then says, no, please don't do that. Let her have the child. And Solomon sees the heart of a mother is revealed in the judgment. So when we have the judgment seat of Christ, it is to reveal what is the heart of a follower of Christ. What is the heart of someone who treasures Christ more than anything else? And so there is this judgment that takes place. It is something that unifies every single one of us. As we look around, it's just a matter of time before every person here will occupy some plot in dirt or urn, whatever. And we have that in common. And scripture goes on to say there's a judgment that comes after that. But as we keep on reading, there, there's a little bit more. He says, you know, this judgment that, that's there, what does that mean for us? Notice verse 11. Because there is this judgment, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Because we know there is a common death, there is a common judgment that weighs in our heart, that is, at the end of our life, it lives, it encourages us to live under the authority of Jesus. 
so that we persuade others and we tell others about who this is. That's why my brother is here, because he has experienced this and he can testify what it is to be apart from Christ and to know that there is an end time. It's not just for the sake of our government, the sake of our country, that there needs to be followers of Christ. It is the sake for the glory of God. And so we persuade others. And then we keep on reading. We are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, not about what is in the heart. For if we beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And then he says, verse 14, for love of Christ controls us because we concluded that this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. So here is our second statement that refers to everyone. Christ has died for all, therefore of all have died. The love of Christ compels us. So let me just share with you a second unifying truth. We can have a new love and a new purpose. We can have a new love and new purpose. As I read this, it says the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that this one has died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. All right, so that's the new purpose. But for him who for their sake died... And was raised. Jesus died for us so that we could live with his love controlling us. Now, let me just say, state something very. Notice verse 14, what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, for your love of Christ controls us. There's a big difference there. It's not your love of Christ controls us, it is the love of Christ controls us. See, for your love of Christ is something you muster up. You have the strength, and it might be doing well by your motivation, or it might be doing lacking a little bit because you got distracted by other things. It's not your love of Christ that controls us. It is the love of Christ. It is the, the Christ's love that he himself exhibited that's in his heart that by his Holy Spirit now becomes a part of who we are. There's a, a, one of our young men that's been coming, been working with him, and he's, he's new in the faith, and uh, he... He was sharing with me, he said, you know, I've gone to church before, and uh, I just, you know, I felt like they were just kind of, uh, what was the word he used? A little, just a little bit too radical, a little bit too fanatical, I think was the word he used. Uh, and he said, but, but, but now, since I've been coming here, it's like my, want, my desires are changing. I want to do things. Differently, and, and I remember this other church was always trying to get me to be baptized, get me to do all this stuff, and I just didn't want to do it, but now I kind of I want to. I want to. Oh, see, I asked, well, what's going on? He said, well, you're just presenting the gospel. You're just teaching me what Jesus has done for me. And now I want to. I, I just said, look, you need to understand that when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, Lord, God does something fundamentally different. In your heart, he gives you new desires so that you want to do things differently. You want to be someone different. And you are frustrated when you're not that. That is part of the the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of, of the Spirit of God working in your life is either a holy discontent or a new desire to do what is pleasing to the Lord. Why does that matter? That is the the love of Christ, not your love of Christ. I think about this with, with uh, Peter. Uh, Jesus was, was challenging Peter before the cross, and he was warning him, you know, this is what's going to happen. You're going to deny me three times, despite all that you say. You're going to deny me three times before the, the cock crows twice. And, and then he says, 
But I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again. But I'm going to meet you in Galilee. In other words, Jesus is making this prophetic statement. Not only will Peter fall, but he's making a prophetic statement of a reconciliation that's going to take place between himself and Peter. Even before the cross ever came, before Peter denied him three times, Jesus knew what was going to happen with Peter, and yet he also was counting on the work of God working in Peter's life to reconcile them. Why does that matter? Well, (laughs) because my love lacks. That's why that matters. We were in the ocean this past week, and, uh, you know, I've got uh, my youngest, Canaan. He seems to enjoy going out in the ocean. Um, but, you know, it doesn't take much for the waves to sweep him off the feet uh, or to cover up his head. And, uh, and so, you know, you hold his hand. But when you hold a six-year-old hand in the ocean, you don't rest on his holding your hand. In other words, I might just say, here, hold my finger. Because he doesn't have the strength to hold on to my finger when the waves come. So you never let that go. You, you grab his hand because you're going to rest more in your ability, your strength to hold him close to you. So when I talk about the love of Christ compels us, not your love of Christ compels us, what I'm saying is that God grabs you by his hand and holds you because you're sheep and sheep tend to go astray. That's what we do. But he's a shepherd and shepherds hold us close. And so our strength, our trust, our, our hope is God, hold me, hold me. When the waves come and my, and my life seems like it's just sweeping out from underneath me, God, I need something greater than myself to hold me. And it looks like the world's going around and they hate. As, as uh, my brother was saying, it, we live in a society where it's not good to be a Christian. And, and that's the world we live in. And we say, God, can, can, can you hold on to me? Can you hold on to my children? Lord, Lord I'm going to pray it for your strength. We can have a new love and a new purpose. Why did he die? He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So, the way I treat others now is motivated by God's love. By Christ himself. Not whether or not they're worthy of it. I have a new love and a new purpose. I don't necessarily walk around seeing who's going to earn my love. Can't do that as a follower of Christ. Because they won't earn your love. We walk around knowing that love has been given to us. And we didn't earn it. And it's given more than enough for us to share with others around us. So we have a new love and a new purpose. We keep on reading, verse 16 and 17. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. All right, so here's the the third statement that speaks to everybody, and it's in the negative. No one. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, What's the the third unifying truth is that we can have not only a new love, a new purpose, but we can have a new perspective and a new promise. How we view the world, 
a new perspective. We don't view people anymore according to the flesh. What does that mean, to view them according to the flesh? It means standards of this world. So, yeah, it, it can include financially. It can include their respect. But it certainly does include literally their flesh. Their skin tone. Black, white, Asian, Indian. We're called to view people differently. So, you know, one of the, one of the changes that's happened to society in America here, since the last time I preached, is Pokemon Go. Some of you are like, what? <laughs> Some uh, others are like, yeah, I know what that is. Uh, you know, it's just uh, kind of like if you ever did geocaching, and that may be out for some of you, but um, basically, from what I understand, is this is a game, a virtual game that you have, an app that you can have on your phones that will mark, and places uh, will be marked for your game that will uh, game points and other things for your game. And so there's all over... The area, there are these little Pokemon sites. I understand there's one here um, at a church. Uh, from what I, I hadn't seen that in my game. I don't have that game. But someone, someone's told me, all right. Uh, and so what does that do? There are a segment of people that now look at everything differently than they did before. Like, okay, now there's this church. But now, no, that's a, that's a Pokemon spot. Let's go there. Yeah, and so it's, it's all viewed differently. So now some churches are like, hey, let's open up the doors. We've got 20-something guys coming in here, and uh, they're, you know, let's serve them coffee. Let's do, you know, hey, let's talk to them. It's not a bad idea. Um, but the point of it is it's amazing how something can just change our perspective. Something like a game. How much more should the gospel of Jesus Christ change our perspective on how we view people? How we view them. I read in in Colossians chapter 1. It talks about the preeminence of Christ and how he's above all things. And all things are held together by him and in him and through him and for him. And then in chapter 3, it talks about how in Christ, there is no longer a Jew or Gentile. Circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave are free. But Christ is all and in all. Christ is so vast, so superior, that he becomes the number one identifier for every person. Racism equates that Jesus is not enough. He's not big enough. He's not vast enough. He's not big enough to be the chief identifier of any person now. Now it's skin tone. Racism is a contradiction and a heresy to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is not to be in a heart that has been forgiven and compelled by the love of Christ. It's just scripture. It's, you know, we, we never 17, therefore if anyone is Christ, he's a new creation, old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And we read that and we take great promise and hope and like, yes, Lord, I need to change this in my life. But do you understand that he's also talking about how we view other people? 
I don't see them as black and white anymore. Whatever. Are they in Christ? Are they not? And that becomes my number one concern. Are they in Christ? Or are they not? So therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though once we regarded Christ according to the flesh, he was a Jew. But now, if you call him a Jew, it's just like, yes, but there's so much more. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Christ is above the races. So, let me just share as we keep on reading verse 19. Verse 18, 19, and 20. Just knowing this, that, that, that God is bringing everyone into Christ. That's just our, he is bringing everyone. We were sung about how God is wanting to restore many sons in glory. That happens through Jesus Christ. Therefore, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. I love how that's phrased. God did it through Christ, reconciled us to himself. We could not reconcile ourselves to God. God has to do it. And it's not being done passively to God. He's not, God's not being reconciled to us. God is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus Christ. Not, not counting. He's re- reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. And trusting to us the message of reconciliation. In other words, God has provided everything needed to fix this world. As my brother said, there's no question anymore that we need missionaries here. Because it's evident it's broken. Our world is broken. Our society is broken. And it's just, you know, our, our folks, our people are in shock. And they don't know what to do. And, and, and they, every week, every month, it's something else. Like, this is to be expected in a broken world. But God is reconciling the world to himself through Christ. How is that happening? He's not counting their trespasses against them and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. That it will only happen when they hear the message of reconciliation and trust it for themselves. Because at that point, when they trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord, then, verse 21, God makes Jesus to be their sin. Even though he knew no sin. So that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. I just cannot get over verse 20 and 21. But when we read this, we need to understand, we can have a new objective and identity. You see, God is going to bring unity in this world, but it's going to come in the name of Christ. It's going to come in the authority of Christ. And it's not done by military might. It's not done by terrorism. It's done by self-sacrifice and love. Jesus Christ is the foremost one, and through him, the love continues. But don't be surprised when you're the one sacrificing. That's how the church will continue to grow. Why? Because we're ambassadors for Christ. We have a new objective and a new identity. God's making his appeal through us. Listen, Listen, when you have it in your heart, an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, someone has been talking to you about their own spiritual heartbreaks, their woes, and they're asking you to to listen and to love and to pray, that is an opportunity that God wants to speak through you to them. It's not about you. It's not about you. God wants to speak through you 
to them. You see, God's making his appeal through us. And so it matters not just with the words we say, but how we say them. The manner through which an ambassador not only is responsible to share the message of the one who sent them, but to do so in the manner of which it was done. Truth, love, together. God's making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is the message of Green Pines. The message of any follower of Christ to a broken world, a divided world, is that it's not so much us getting reconciled with one another as is be reconciled to God. When Jesus was asked about murders that were being taken place, disasters, natural disasters, and others, towers that fall, and Pilate killing, slaughtering a bunch of people. And he was asked about it. He simply, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It wasn't like, oh, I wish Pilate and would get along. I wish the Romans and the Jews would just, you know, figure this out. Maybe they just need to listen together. He's like, no. Look, we all have a common death and judgment coming. And unless we repent, we will all likewise perish. Let's start there. Let's start there. I would say that this church is instrumental in how this society goes in our area. The church has always been instrumental in American life from the birth of it. The gospel has had its impact in the lives of people to flavor this country. And it could very well be that it happens because the Christians sacrifice with love. I think back to last June, the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston that was uh, had Dylan Roof come and shoot and kill people. Uh, it's interesting how that incident took place and the effect of it. It is after that time where people decided maybe we should not be posting up the Confederate flag as a normal thing. Um, it's interesting how, you know, that wasn't the first time that was championed. Let's take down the Confederate flag. But it was only after this time that that had its effect. When you see how this church responded, they had opportunity at a hearing for the family members to speak. Here's what the record is of some of them. Nadine Collier, daughter of victim Ethel Lance. I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I'll never get to talk to her ever again. I'll never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you. And have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. If God forgives you, I forgive you. A relative of Myra Thompson I would just like him to know that to say the same thing that was just said, I forgive him. And my family forgives him. But we would like him to take this opportunity to repent. Repent. Confess. Give your life to the one who matters most, Christ. So that he can change him. And change your ways. So no matter what happens to you, you'll be okay. Felicia Sanders. Mother of Tywanza Sanders. 
We welcomed you Wednesday night in our Bible study with welcome arms. You've killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber of my body hurts, and I'll, I'll never be the same. Tawanza Sanders was my son, but Tawanza Sanders was my hero. Tawanza was my hero. May God have mercy on me. Wanda Simmons, granddaughter of Daniel Simmons. Although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof. Everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they lived in love and their legacies will live in love. So hate won't win. And I just want to thank the court for making sure that hate doesn't win. Sister of DePayne Middleton, doctor. That was my sister. And I'd like to thank you on behalf of my family for not allowing hate to win. For me, I'm a work in progress. And I acknowledge that I'm very angry. But one thing that DePayne always enjoyed in her family is she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hating. So we have to forgive. I pray God on your soul. One after another, the same plea. God, have mercy on this woman. Have mercy on this woman. I just noticed a stark difference when a church was attacked and this Christian response. It may very well be that it's through sacrifice, love, where a world that is at odds with one another because they're at odds with God and cannot be at rest with themselves will see a people who sacrifices, but will notice that though there is death coming, and that there is a judgment in front of them, that they have a new love and a new purpose, that perhaps they can see that there's people have a different perspective, a new perspective and a new promise, and that they have a new objective and they have a different identity, that it's not just American, it's not just a white, it's not a black thing, it's not a police officer thing, it's not a Muslim thing, that it's a Christ thing. And what our society is touting to solve it all is tolerance. But just sheer, naked tolerance does not produce love in a society. God's asked us to do more than tolerate. God didn't just tolerate us. <laughs> he loved us. The societal creed of tolerance is bankrupt and will be bankrupt. Because what do tolerant people do around intolerant people? Well, they just become the same thing, intolerant. But what does love of Christ do around a love of unloving people? It only gives more audience to show the love of Christ. Don't give in to what society is saying. Give in to Christ. And when the world becomes dark, let the love of Christ shine brighter. I'm going to ask that we pray together, understanding that we all will be in a common death and common judgment, and every eternal, every person is an eternal person. Every human you'll meet is an eternal human. This building will come and go, but the people that live, or that are in here, will live forever, one way or the other. How we treat one another matters. 
how you lived this life matters. And the fundamental question is, will you trust God and surrender to Jesus Christ? Trusting and surrender go together. You can't have one without the other. Trusting and surrender. Let's pray.